Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast with Fraser Rice. Today we're getting to speak with Matt Posner. He's part of the Impact Coalition. The Impact Coalition is working with the largest underwriters, investors, and state and local governments to build a new language to analyze public infrastructure projects. Matt has spent the last 15 years analyzing the intersection of public policy, financial markets, and state and local governments. He's worked with firms such as Neighborly, Court Street Group, and the Municipal Market Advisors. Welcome aboard, Matt. Thank you, Fraser. I'm very happy to be here. So uh, before we dive into the Municipal Impact Coalition, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. So I, right after college, started working on the Hill. Um, I worked for a congresswoman and then a senator, which granted me the experience to see the intersection of policy and finance. Working on the Ways and Means Committee, as well as the Senate Finance Committee, allowed me the opportunity to see the intersection of politics, policy, and finance. So when you're picking up from that component there and you were sort of wandering around the halls of power and trying to see how that affected finance and the raising of money for projects and so on, maybe tell us a little bit of an experience that happened at that point. Yeah, well, we had certain groups that were advocating uh, on behalf of different municipal bond interests. And through that, I learned a lot about the municipal bond industry. And it, I realized that that's actually what I wanted to do. I, I was not interested in policy. I was much more interested in actually, you know, the the decision making uh, process of how a state and local government develops their their capital markets plans, and and that was that was really um, what drew me to the municipal market. So I left Washington. I moved to New York. And uh, started working at the Bond Buyer uh, newspaper, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that was my first sort of touch with the municipal market, and then uh, transitioned into research. So, with the research part, you were uh, you started your own firm. You're, you were working with Neighborly uh, before you uh, hit into the Impact uh, Coalition. Tell us a little bit about how that worked. Through my time in the research space. I learned a lot dealing with underwriters of municipal debt, investors in municipal debt, and most importantly, the public officials that are shepherding the public good on behalf of, of, of us as taxpayers. And as a result, I sort of saw an opportunity for government technology services. For our audience, tell us a little bit about what an underwriter does uh, for municipal debt. Yeah, sure. So an underwriter is – it's the large firms that we all know. It's the JP Morgans. It's the Morgan Stanleys. It's the Bank of America Merrill Lynch's. And what they do is is they take on balance sheet risk to underwrite the $350 billion, give or take, each year for public entities and then will sell those securities to investors. And this is all because municipalities, uh, cities, states, et cetera, they need money to build infrastructure projects, whether it's bridges, sewers, uh, all sorts of different types of things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what, what other types of things do municipalities raise money for? Well, you know, one of the big ones is education. Because education falls to the state and local level, right. not at the federal level, uh, that represents about $100 billion a year of projects that go through, whether it's K through 12 projects 
or uh, you know, higher education institutions. Other projects also will fall into the realm of healthcare, water and sewer, as you mentioned earlier. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting things happening in that space that I think cumulatively represent, you know, we've done the work on this, represent about two-thirds of the marketplace. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, uh, and, and then you worked it through into Neighborly, and what, what does Neighborly do? Neighborly is an underwriter, uh, the registered broker-dealer that was really focused on democratizing access to the municipal bond market. So what was unique about Neighborly was that they wanted to, uh, or and, and they're still doing this. I don't want to. I don't want to put this in the in the past tense. What they're doing is lowering the denominations uh, uh, in which you can invest. So currently, you have to have either a five thousand or ten thousand um, dollar minimum investment. And what Neighborly is doing through technology and 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 through marketing is providing the communities that want to invest in X project. You know whether it's a school or it's a it's solar panels on city hall. You can invest at a lower denomination to be able to say that hey, I'm invested in my community. So it's a little bit like bridging uh, microfinance uh, types of concepts into the municipal bond market, so that people can get in at lower levels. Yeah, absolutely. Terrific. So that brings us now to the Impact Coalition. And uh, you've got some real heavy hitters on the coalition thinking about uh, a lot of the ways that the municipal bond market can improve and otherwise have a, a larger impact on its communities. What was the problem that it was formed to solve? And I guess another way to put it is, and, you know, part of your mandate is uh, the fact that there needs to be a new language for public infrastructure. Uh, what a problem did you identify and what, what are you trying to do to solve it? The problem is that the municipal market has been marketed as a tax strategy. And that's all well and fine. And I think it's important as a tax strategy for investment advisors. However, there's this huge hole that we're not filling that is we are changing the way that our communities operate. And that's not being identified or addressed through the $350 billion a year that's being issued for projects that are funded by municipal securities. Yeah, when you say that the communities are operating in, in, a, in a way that's, that's different from what it probably should be, maybe flesh that out a little bit. What are the communities doing that needs to be changed or could be improved? So let's just like use an example. This mm -hmm. is completely theoretical. When the Los Angeles Unified School District, you know, and, and they issue hundreds of millions of dollars a year and operate a, a massive school district system in, in one of the largest cities in our country. When they issue those bonds, they hire a pool of underwriters, right? So this is these are the big underwriters that we all know, um, the J.P. Morgans and the you know the, the the Morgan Stanleys of the world. But what those firms are doing to date is that they're not putting a lens on what the Los Angeles Unified School District is, is really doing. And what does that school district do? And I was I was just looking through the. I was just looking through the data recently and you know there's you know tens of thousands of students underprivileged students that are being positively affected hopefully positively affected by that school system now how do we quantify that and how do we benefit LAUSD by quantifying that and so our goal is to eventually put a number 
and we're working on this currently, put a social rate of return on saying, hey, if you invest in LAUSD, you can you know, put this societal rate of return on what this school district is doing, how it's impacting that community, and in theory, we can lower the cost of capital for that entity. So this leads to one of the major trends in investing, both at the domestic U.S. level and then internationally, which is uh, the social return on investment, the impact that your investments have. Uh, ESG is a common acronym that's used to describe environmental pluses, uh, societal gains, and governance positives that that your investment can make. And so that's what you're talking about a little bit, is that uh, by assigning scores to municipal projects, which are theoretically improving all of those types of scenarios, that by doing that, you'll help the investor understand the, the positive impacts that they're having beyond sort of the, the investing tax rigmarole and, and benefits that we hear about from municipal bonds. Does that Do I have that right? Yeah, you do. But there's one important thing that you have to differentiate, and that's what is impact versus ESG. Okay. And what we're focused on currently as a, as a small company that, that, that um, is, has started – well, we're, we're 12 months old. So you know, we'll, we'll change this um, approach soon is that impact is, is a focus on like the use of proceeds for a positive effect on the six sectors that we've identified. Okay, and 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 the way, the the reason I want to differentiate that from ESG is that ESG is looking at the risk associated with not spending the money to produce these projects. So, just to give you an example, we looked at a dam in a California water area, and what we sort of were grappling with was, okay, well, what happens if the dam doesn't exist? Right, the use of proceeds we're going towards to building this dam. What happens if the dam doesn't exist? Okay, well, we're looking at you know, are they going to have to? Are, is the population in the Bay Area of San Francisco going to have to purchase bottled water? Are they going to have to spend funds, tax proceeds on a desalinization plant? That's the type of thing where you start to go down the rabbit hole, which I think a lot of folks in the impact space have to you know grapple with. Do I go down that rabbit hole or do I not? And right now we're not. Well, back, and I was going to say back in my day job, one of the things when the impact investing conversation came up, uh, it was exactly what you're talking about. Uh, are you investing to avoid certain evils or are you investing to promote certain good outcomes? And when people were trying to avoid certain evils, it, it didn't take very long to have the slippery slope uh, kick in and uh, and then all of a sudden – you know, geez, I want to be invested in Apple, but uh, you know, there's rumors that child labor laws are being violated, or that you're using particularly toxic things that are mined out of Mongolia or something like that. And if you, if you, to me, if you go deep enough, you can find something wrong with every company. You absolutely can. And you know, we, I had someone ask me, well, is Philip Morris an impactful investment? Philip Morris actually puts a lot of money into socially good causes through the MSA agreement. That was their settlement with the federal government and, and states and localities. Okay, so people are smoking, which is I think we can universally agree that's not healthy for you. But a certain percentage of their taxes are actually going towards positive good. How do you rectify that? 
Well, I think that's part of what you're trying to score. You know, there, there are, you know, there may be negative implications to certain bonds or they, they come from certain types of money. And then, but by the same token, they're having a very positive impact on the community. And so how do you score that? And do they, do they negate? Do they, uh, you know, is it, is it a purely positive impact? And uh, hopefully it helps investors figure that out. Yeah. So, and, and Fraser, I think one of the things that is unique about our approach is that we are a coalition. So we're including the largest underwriters, the largest investors. You know, I'm in the process of getting more and more issuers on board so that the industry itself can coalesce and say, this is what we think is a good idea and this is what we don't think is a good idea. So, yeah. Yeah, as you're assembling the people for, for this coalition and, the, and these different constituencies, talk a little bit about what the goal is. Now, I would think from a pure business perspective, you're trying to make municipal bonds that much more attractive than they already are, and they're, and they're attractive. But at the same time, you know, promoting the social good that they provide, how does that work when you assemble the team and as people get interested in it? Yeah, I, I, it's, a, it's a great question and I, and I think that different market practitioners have different motives, right? Um, the underwriter community that we're working with, they're looking for a unique aspect to talk about this asset class, something different. And so we've created a, a small group and it's a limited group for them to say, okay, we have – you know, we're, we're associated with this coalition – and when they talk to the state or local government, so let's just use an example. I'm I'm from Wisconsin. Uh, you know, when they talk to the state of Wisconsin, they can say, "Hey, you know, you're you're issuing this two hundred million dollar transaction for a children's hospital. Let's put an MIC score on it, right? I want to put a social rate of return on what these three different you know children's hospitals are going to have on our community." What's an MIC score? Sorry, that's that's the Municipal Impact Coalition. Got that's it. that's okay. us. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> that's <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> um, and, and then on the other side, you have the investors, of which we have fifteen that have signed letters of intent to work with us, and 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 these are some of the big, the biggest institutions to some of the smaller uh, uh, family offices that that under that you know uh, manage portfolios for high net worth individuals that. And I think this really – I think this would pertain to your audience is a lot of these women and men that are managing these portfolios are seeing this transfer, you know, this generational transfer. And they're saying, OK, so we have to deal with a new client that might be under the age of 40. What do they care about? And how do we talk about their municipal portfolio in a different way? And that's where what we're doing is – Absolutely connecting with the buy side, and by buy side I mean asset managers and RAs, or you know, however you want to characterize them, they are thinking about what does this industry look five to ten years from now, and they're going to have to approach municipals in a different way, and we're providing them a different lens in which they can describe. Okay, I invested in again to use that example of Los Angeles Unified School District. I invested in LAUSD. You're getting the tax equivalent return. Also, here's a really in-depth analysis on how that project is impacting that community. I always viewed municipal bonds when when impact and ESG and all these trends started to come to the fore. You know, let's really five to ten years ago. 
I, I would always have these discussions with people and say, you know, municipal bonds are really the original impact investment. You're putting dollars at work that are improving your communities and you're getting, you're in a sense, getting paid for it by getting a tax advantage to it. One of the observations I guess I have with the uh, under 40 crowd as it relates to investments and so on is that municipal bonds have been out of favor in a sense for a while. Interest rates have been low. They're not sexy necessarily from a – you're not going to get a lot in terms of uh, capital appreciation on them. And to me, it's, it feels like the the trend is going to start reversing a little bit and they're going to become more popular. And I think what you guys have sort of figured out and hemmed in on is that there's a way to look at these things beyond just the pure investment component, which is powerful. But the social component, the social return component is, is something that it feels like as you're talking to the RIA space and the investment managers and so on, your timing seems to be really good to me. Can I just answer that with – Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely you, you absolutely can. I, but 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 it underscores a problem with communication. I think that mm, that there's a yeah. gap between the marketplace and what seems to me to be fairly obvious as it relates to municipals being that original impact investment. I, I don't I don't see that in the marketplace, and maybe that's what you're trying to do as it relates to scoring. If you're the ones driving a consistent scoring methodology around it, that that's a really good thing for all involved. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm hoping this podcast is the first of many in which we, we <laughs> change we change that problem. Um, but I, I think the the issue that I think that you're touching on is that we're lacking a universal score, which is very difficult. To date, what we've seen are several different asset managers that have created their own proprietary processes, and several of them have actually signed on to be part of our coalition. By the way. But the marketing process behind that has been, okay, we have our own black box. We have the best special sauce and that's how we're going to sell it to individuals. Our process is, hey, if we all have a universal language that we're all speaking the same language, we can produce a score and you can take it or leave it or you can, you can leverage part of it and tell us why you disagree with certain parts of that. But at the end of the day, we all benefit by having some sort of, hey, this is the, the SRR, the social rate of return score on the LA USD you know, uh, deal. Well, it gives you, gives you a template from which to work off of and, and a, as you say, a universal language and hopefully that's the type of thing where they uh, – uh, you know the the investment community can rally around it. So it, it, we talked. To, what we're talking about is with you know high net worth people, domestic investors. Many times, uh, another set of investors that have a different problem. I'd say with the municipal market are the foreign investors. Those mm -hmm. people who uh, don't see the U.S. tax benefits as much. They're not really worried about it that much. But they have whole tranches of money, I'm thinking sovereign wealth funds, pension funds, other foreign situations that need to score well for whatever reason, whether it's a domestic law or prevailing wisdom or conventional, you know, sort of conventional thoughts towards things. Or a board that's told them that they need to you know, invest X into, you know, certain pursuits. Exactly. Right. And so it, it strikes me that, that what you're doing uh, helps to solve that problem for them by by providing that universal language, that vernacular. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So we've had several international pension funds from Canada, from Western Europe, from Asia, from the Middle East, all reach out 
and, and we're working through uh, several different organizations. One of them is called Fundamental Credit Opportunities, who we've been working with that are in the process of managing some of the, these accounts. And, and what the common denominator is from all of these – you know, these are now people, you know, entities that are from all over the world. They want to invest in American infrastructure. You look at the default rates. The municipal bond market is it, – it far exceeds – any other marketplace domestically. But the common denominator is that they're looking for that universal language. I'll, I'll use one example. So if you know, I ran a pension fund, say, in Canada that represented you know, education, it, my board says, well, you need to have 20 percent of your assets in educational pursuits. And if I'm in Canada, I'm looking down south and I'm saying, wow, the, the US municipal market invests $100 billion a year or issues $100 billion a year in the educational sector. Why can't I invest in the US municipal bond? And the reason is that they need some sort of score to say, yes, A, you know, this is an educational pursuit, and B, this is the positive impact that we're having on the community over a series of time. So uh, in your conversations with these sovereign funds and pension funds and so on, it sounds like you've picked up the idea that you know the board is telling you to do something. You need to either have uh, – you know, say it's an educational component or some sort of social good or you have to avoid something. When you're putting your score together, what are the factors that you're focusing on so that the score is useful and that also it's specific enough so that – the input that you've gotten, that you're able to have a score that can help those people invest back in municipal bonds and, and to take care of the different constituencies that they need to take care of? Yeah. No, that's a great question. So we have we have five different sectors and each sector we have different sprints that we're going to be finishing. So the, the first one we're starting with is affordable housing. But the, the second one is education. I, I think I'm going to focus on that because I've, I've actually spent more work on that. Right. And our process is – we create it with my team. Then we do product validation with the industry, our steering committee of, of the largest underwriters in the space and the largest investment advisors so that we have product validation. Not everyone's going to agree on every factor. And, you know, it, it, that's, just, that's just a reality. Mm -hmm. um, and then once we go through a three-step phase in which they – we have a peer review process. We put out the product. So in the education space, what are the factors that you look at? Is it sort of te so, teachers get promoted or kids graduate on time or the, the buildings don't fall down? How, how do you and, – and I guess where do you find the data to, to populate the classifications? Hopefully the buildings aren't falling down. <laughs> uh, let's just start there. So we're working with an organization, a company called C-Analytics okay. um, that pulls together a lot of publicly available information. We also have a few proprietary informational data sources. But so let's let's focus on education. One of the first factors is okay, so the county that the K through twelve entity is is providing educational services for, we look at what their and this is all IRS data, mm -hmm. what is the percent like what is the median income versus the national average? Okay? It's pretty basic. Then we take a step further and we say, okay, well, what percentage of your students are on free lunch programs, right? So we're assessing a factor of, okay, this is – you are servicing a school that is in an impoverished area, right? So we can do that through a quantifiable purpose. Then we take the next step and we say, okay, well, so what are your graduation rates? 
and this is all it's all free data. We can we can pull it and aggregate it and there's a lot of folks that do it. Right. Um, what are your SAT scores? What percentage of your students are going into higher education institutions? And and then um, and then so that's that's another factor. And then we're also looking at what percentage of your faculty are female and minorities. And then what percentage of your faculty is the same gender and race of your student body? So here's a question. So, so in the percentage of minority and female faculty, you want a diverse faculty to be sure. But do you allocate a higher score based on a need that is being met or on a positive attribute that exists? So if you have a if you have a school that has a very diverse faculty, which is you know what you're going for, that may be a good score. But by the same token, if you're raising money to help improve a school that has a not as diverse faculty, how does that work? Are you looking for a job? Because I, I mean, I'll I'll bring you on board. These these are the things that I'm looking for, right? right. I mean, and I think this is the, where we get into the G of ESG, right? Is if they're not meeting the changes that are part of our factors, or maybe maybe that that they're still successful by having a sorry two white guys like us as you know the principal and the co-principal or what whatever if if they're still meeting the the SAT scores and all these other things and they're they are um uh, releasing all of the information as an as an issuer of debt maybe we don't penalize them right that's where we have to have that conversation that conversation is not being had but we want to provide data so that people can have that conversation and it goes back to what you're talking about with the tobacco component. If Philip Morris is issuing bonds, yeah, I mean, if, if smoking is what's going to pay down the interest on those, that that's not necessarily a great outcome. But if the proceeds are building great things, that's what you're trying to reconcile uh, with your scoring. And so that hopefully is uh, – that, that as you work through all of these types of things, that's what's going to help investors make good choices around that front so that they're having the impacts that they want to have. Absolutely. So just to get back, uh, we, you talked about um, public housing and education. What are the three other things that you're working on? So yeah, it's, it's housing, it's education, it's healthcare, mm -hmm. transportation, and water and sewer. There's a big one that's missing, but this is intentional, and that's um, green. Mm -hmm. And I think this is one area that our industry, the municipal bond industry, has really missed is that we've identified green as its own sector in and of itself, whereas we're taking a more, more holistic approach. Green has impact on transportation. It has impact on healthcare. It has impact on housing, yet we've sort of siloed it off. So when the New York City Metropolitan Transportation Association comes out with a bond and it's qualified green – that's great and, and I think that's important and I, and I hope that it lowers their cost of capital because the, the funds that they're raising are very important. But what they're missing is that you're not leveraging all that you could do by just saying this is green. Well, and green, right? green is like using the word – you know, using the term hedge fund. It can mean 100 different things to 100 different people and you get back to those slippery slope problems. I, another example might be an economic development bond. Well, all of these things you talk about, you know, your other factors are directly related to economic development. So, you know, if you start parsing that out, that can it can end up meaning meaning very little, even though it, it's trying to do good things. And it sounds like these are the real tough choices that you have to make, and and why it's important for a coalition to come to play so that. 
the constituencies are heard when you're making these choices so that when the score comes out, you know, you're probably going to disappoint a few people here and there, but hopefully there's enough consensus around what you're doing that that it's adopted widely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, but the what I think is important is that the people who disagree or are, are disappointed now they have a, a a framework in which they can say this is why I disagree with this. Right. That's very important. And so if I'm you know, ex investor, uh, I can say, okay, hey, this is why you need to you need to work with us because this, you know, we don't agree with this. This is our different approach to, you know, the faculty of the school or, or or what have you, right? But we're just producing this new lens in which to think about this market. So you're building your different algorithms and and scoring systems. That's ongoing. It sounds like you've got you're taking in data from a lot of different constituencies. Once you get that kind of in place, the influence that you're trying to have and part of the constituencies that you're dealing with are the governments and the people who are raising money in the municipal space. How do you interact with them so that they learn to start adopting your score so that as they're using the municipal bond markets to raise money for projects, that it integrates well with with the framework that you're building? I try to have as many conversations as I possibly can with them. (laughs) (laughs) No, look, we, we have relationships, the company does, with several large issuers. We're starting with some of the larger issuers that and just by nature of them having a larger team, they produce more information that we can digest. Um, so we're working with them. Um, and then we're also working with people in Washington. And um, I think at the federal level, there needs to be a broader awareness of what impact is and how it affects the state and local government. And, and as I mentioned to you, when you in, at the beginning of this conversation, I, I worked on the Hill. And the one thing that always bothered me was – and this was because I was at the bottom of the totem pole, right? Because I was the new kid. I was just out of college. I got handed municipals because no one else wanted to handle municipals, right? Because that it's, it's what the young guy gets or gal gets to do. And that's, that's why I got it. That's why it ended up working out for me because I fell in love with it. But the, the reality is, is that there's not a, a large institutional knowledge about – the importance of the municipal market. And so what we're doing now is – and I'm actually headed to Washington next week – is talking about creating a caucus of legislators to raise awareness about impact and how it's important for American infrastructure. So as we start to wind down here, what are the timelines of progress for you? What are you trying to achieve, say, between now and the end of the year? And then and then, how do we keep track of, of the score? And what's the best way to sort of uh, watch how this gets implemented? Housing will be done by November 15th. We're doing sector by sector. Our next sprint – is healthcare, which we expect to be done by January 15th. We expect all six sectors or five sectors, excuse me, to be done by around mid-June in which we will have a replicable, scalable product in which if I'm an investor, I will be able to sign up for the website and punch in a QCIP uh, or a project and say, okay, this is the societal rate of return on you know, Wisconsin – healthcare project or whatever it is. And and we want to be able to provide that for them so that they can then in turn take that societal rate of return score 
and reproduce that score for their end client. And we expect that to be done by summer of next year. Wow. That's uh, lots of cool stuff happening in a short amount of time. And so when the people who want the score have access to it, how do you keep control at that point? Are you sort of a, a central repository for data? Or are you going to take that and keep the data to be able to be used elsewhere? Or is this more of an open source type of it's a more It's an open source process, right? So we expect the analysis to be available on the preliminary official statements for all new issues. And if an investor is looking at, it, at an offering in the secondary market, they would have to request that analysis from us. Well, in, at a cost. I was going to say, yeah. in, in a sense, uh, and this is oversimplifying it by a lot, it, it's almost like a Morningstar uh, rating for a mutual fund, only based on very specific criteria and more detailed data that has gone into it. Yeah, I think that's a fair that's a fair way to, to present it. Cool. So this has been very interesting for me to hear because it really is melding impact investing with something that is a big deal already in the investing world. And I think you're going to have a lot of success with it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. So how do we keep in touch with the Impact Coalition and, and how can listeners find out more about it and keep an eye on what's happening going forward? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I would go to our website, theimpactcoalition.com. Right. And I think the way that we can get your listeners more engaged is let's follow this up with a few of our actual you know, asset managers. Uh, terrific. Uh, and, and, and put them on. And I think your listeners would really appreciate hearing their approach, especially from A, the international aspect, but then also some of the uh, asset managers that do focus domestically on ultra high net worth individual family offices. That would be our next step. A terrific idea. Matt, how do we keep in touch with you specifically? Are you on LinkedIn and all the other channels? I am on LinkedIn, Matt Posner. Terrific. G-O-S-N-E-R. <laughs> Great. Matt, thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you so much. You've been listening to my conversation with Matt Posner on the Wealth Actually podcast. You can find past episodes and learn more about my book on wealthactually.com. If you feel like it, you can buy a copy there. I'm your host, Fraser Rice. Until next time, keep making intelligent decisions with your wealth.